Hello, and welcome back to Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is Jay-Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're new here, welcome. Pull up a chair and get comfortable, because we want you all to enjoy yourselves. Have a croissant. Is a croissant sweet or savory? Literally, no one knows. On each episode of this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second-guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming comics and actors and established producers, authors, and writers. We banked all the episodes, which also makes this series a time capsule of events that occurred throughout an historic summer. You can follow me, your host, at Deering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handles on Twitter and Instagram at Things Are Going Great For Me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our email list and Patreon. In fact, we've got some special items up on our Patreon right now. We've uploaded a few additional minutes for my interview with movie star Chris Pine from back in April of this year. Pine reflected on the pause the movie industry was about to take with the U.S. starting to shut down businesses and life as we knew it. He also talks about shooting a pandemic movie early in his career called Carriers. And for all you Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans, we've also uploaded 20 additional minutes from my interview today with Melissa Fumero from back in July. We talk about some of our memories from college, our favorite acting teachers. Melissa also talks about giving birth to her second son right at the beginning of a global pandemic. You can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. Here comes the rate and subscribe part. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a nice comment. Tell your aunt about us. Give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. Hey, Apple Podcast peeps. We see you, Spotify folks. Hey now, Stitcher fam. What's up, you freaky pocket casts, cats? Hey, Breaker brethren and sistren. Salutations, radio public people. Hello, you overcast outroverts. Welcome to the party, Google Podcasters. We love you all equally, and we hope you love what you hear, and we want to keep bringing you new episodes of this show. And by the way, we're thrilled to be sponsored for this limited series by Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on Earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock, and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be a force of nature. Icelandic Glacial, natural spring water, sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon, IcelandicGlacial.com, and a retailer near you. Today's first guest is Melissa Fumero. Melissa plays Amy Santiago on NBC's Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She's a TV comedy icon, nominated for the Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Ensemble in a Comedy Series. We talk about her early soap career, the highly anticipated season eight of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We also talk about the origins of her sibling-like friendship with Lin-Manuel Miranda, shooting two different seasons of network TV while pregnant, and her first outings as a director. Melissa's a close friend. It's a great and candid chat. I'll be speaking with her in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my conversation with David Langell. David's one of the busiest working actors I know. He talks about going to high school at the renowned Fiorello H. LaGuardia School in New York, featured in Alan Parker's classic film, Fame, and what it was like going to high school with Nicki Minaj. He also talks about his experience working on films with luminaries such as Clint Eastwood, The Rock, and Eddie Murphy. It's also a wonderful conversation about craft and the differences of acting for theater and acting for television and film. So stick around, you're not going to want to miss it. Joining me again today is my producer and co-host, Winston Carter. How's it going, man? I'm good, man. So Melissa talks a little bit about this, uh, their reboot for season eight that the writer's room is working mm-hmm. on for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, following nationwide protesting against yeah. police uh, police brutality, yeah. institutional anti-black racism. Mm-hmm. She talks about the responsibilities all cop shows have right now to take a look at the ways in which they might be perpetuating problematic storylines about the police. 
Um, mm-hmm. There have been many, many cop shows. Uh, there are even other great cop show parodies in the past, like the the really good uh, Police Squad with Leslie Nielsen, uh, which then resulted with the Naked mm-hmm. Gun movies. There have been celebrated movies about cops, like Die Hard. Um, do, do you have any favorite cop shows? Cop, sh- I mean, Brooklyn Nine Nine was up there, but also like when you realize like half of all shows are cop shows, it's kind yeah. of like, like yeah, of course I like some. Like like I was thinking about, it, I was like, Sherlock is kind of a cop show. Like they all yeah. are, because like we're it's like it's like cop uh, cop shows, the occasional president shows, lawyer shows, and firefighter shows are like the and doctors. Yeah. It's all the stuff that you. It's like the thing. Basically, all the stuff you call nine one one or as a result of nine one one. Are that's that's what watch, that's where the right? drama is yeah yeah yes that's yeah uh that's what tnt as, as tnt always says that's where the drama is that what they, is. i thought they were characters um, welcome or is that tbs i always get no, tbs and is. tnt confused i they're the same right same, it's they're turner the same. They're, they're the same yeah they're the same um yeah uh the cop shows are great they're fine it is a weird time i was thinking about that uh with regards to the new Batman movie that they're making. And I was like, well, Batman's a cop. Like hmm. not only a cop in the trailer, he's beating someone up, yeah. like, like really viciously beating someone. And I'm like, Oh no, can I like this anymore? Oh, oh yeah. No. Yeah. But then I'm like, it's whatever it does. It's fiction. Yeah. That's why you make firefighter shows, man. That's what I was really secretly <laughs> hoping with Brooklyn nine, nine was uh, season eight begins. They are all firefighters. Oh they never, uh, they still reference things from before, but, and like, instead of, uh, when you like like old characters that were criminals come back as now they're like people who keep getting like their things stuck in fires or arsonists, uh, different types of criminals. Yeah, uh, and they and they never address it. That's what I was hoping. Oh, would so happen, just don't talk about and it. I would love that right. show. Just forever. ignore it. it. Just never address it. We're just now firefighters. The dynamic between them and firefighters is reversed. It'd be perfect. Well, that is a radical idea. Um, when I say radical, I don't mean cool. Um, yeah, you mean radicalized. You mean like I am sitcom uh, Al Qaeda. My God, saying. my God. Well, I'm v- I'm very excited to see how they use this pause to put important storytelling out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, folks. Once again, mm-hmm. you've been very patient with us. Without further ado, here now is the wonderful, hilarious, and kind Melissa Fumero. So we should probably say up top here that we're friends from college um, Mm -hmm. and we were in the same acting studio for two years. So we've had an interesting timeline in our friendship. The the week before college graduation, you had booked already, correct me if I'm wrong, a five-year contract on One Life to Live. A four-year contract, but yes. A four-year contract. how did that happen? Did that arise out of an industry showcase? Was it like the first audition that you were sent on? How did, kind how did that of. come about? I was I, kind of. I was in, uh, I was doing Stone Street, which was the film and television studio. And they did weekly showcases, kind of, where uh, an agent or a manager or some industry person, most of the, mostly they were agents, though would come once a week and do kind of like a sit down Q and a, and then every student would get up and do something for them. Hmm. 
And so I actually started working with a small agency from one of those showcases. You know, they came and they liked me and they called me in. Um, And so I was like doing some commercial auditions for them. And then, oh, and then, no. And then I did meet another agency that ended up being my agent for a while. Same deal, came to a showcase, they liked me, whatever. Um, and so they started sending me out on some stuff, but I was still in school. So, you know, and at that age and you're in New York, you know, there's not a ton of TV and film, but at the time there was still like four, like five or six soap operas that shot in New York. Yeah. So I, that was just one of the things that I happened to be auditioning for. And I screen tested me and Katie Lowe's screen tested Ah. for guiding light I didn't get it, neither did she. And then someone from One Life to the casting director, one of the casting directors from One Life to Live came to Stone Street and then they called me in. No, wait, I had already auditioned, I think. They came in and I very smartly at the time was like, oh, I just screen tested for Guiding Light two weeks ago, like dropped that nugget in front of them. Not even I don't even think I was fully aware of what I was doing, that it was like a smart thing to do. It was a subconsciously smart thing to do. Right. But I did. And then and then they called me in for a callback like the next day. Hmm. And then I screen tested twice and I got it after the second one. And going back to acting teachers, we didn't talk that much about Doug Mostyn, but Doug Mostyn was my first year acting teacher at NYU and ended up, we were very, very close, ended up being my mentor um, in so many ways. And I still like, feel like 80 to 90% of what I do is everything that Doug taught me. I feel like he's always with me. I remember that. Yeah. He, um, he passed the day of my screen test for one life to live is that right i didn't know that that corresponded like that oh wow i screen tested i went to cap later that and then that night when i was walking into a rehearsal i think for company i found out about doug no i found out about that doug had a brain tumor when i was walking into a rehearsal for company i found out that he passed when i was at cap 21 after my screen test I was like there randomly for something and I think I found out. Um wow. but it was the same day. Isn't that weird? Life that is, is so weird. That's weird. a lot of things conspiring around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the start date for it happened to be I had like one day that I worked in December, I think, which was like right after I like finished I was like done for the semester. Yeah. It was like I finished school and I went right into that job. You have a big fan base from that show. Uh, you also met your husband, David Fumero, the, on that show. The thing I remember hearing about soap operas is how grueling the work schedule is. Did it prepare you well for your subsequent career? It did in the sense that it it is it's grueling in in some ways it's grueling in that it shoots all year round you know you don't have a season so you have these you have periods of time where 
you're on set a lot and you're working a lot and it kind of takes over your life. But also like, because it's such a big crew, most of the time I worked like two or three days a week. Like it was kind of cushy in that sense. I didn't have anything to compare it to at the time. But like when I did Brooklyn, I was like, oh, this is a different beast. (laughs) Like this is so much harder than anything else I've ever done. But I think the thing that soap opera has prepared me so well for was it feels like a speeding train that you jump on and you just hope that you hold on and you don't because you see people left and right when you work there that just like can't hold on and they end up getting fired or, Hmm. you know, and they don't work out Um, because it's a lot, a lot of pages every day. It's one or two takes each time. So if you, um, you have to mess up real bad for them to do it again so like even if your performance isn't good like they don't care they move on you know what i mean is that where that comes from where they you know they it's got a bad rep sometimes where it's like the acting may not be what well, it is yeah yet. i mean because you only get watching, two takes you only have two takes like and a hundred <laughs> so, pages maybe the night before yeah like whatever. i literally have seen episodes of myself on one life to live where i don't even say a line right or i say something really grammatically incorrect and it's like on television because they just they wouldn't go back and be like hey you said this thing wrong like they're just be like moving on the poor like, script supervisor on that show is just like up oh, well like ah. yeah 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 okay i don't even think there is a script supervisor they like they're just they like suicide. you're getting the gist of it you know what i mean plus they're like pumping out scripts every day you're like mostly saying exposition you're not you know doing so yeah it's really hard to make something like that you know high quality let's say um when those are the circumstances in which you have to like shoot it you know and how you have to do it so it's yeah so and then it's a huge cast. So I think the other thing that was really valuable to me was learning at a very young age to work with a lot of different personalities. Okay. Sure. That was, that came in handy. Sure. <laughs> <Let's say>. Yeah. <laughs> so meanwhile, so I moved out to LA immediately to work and then we right. bumped into each other in a bar. How many years ago do you think at this point? Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Uh, was that when I first moved to LA? I think so. You, I remember you saying like that you and your husband had just moved and like. So we're talking like eight, eight-ish years ago, eight and a half years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you were, I remember you were saying like you were feeling intimidated by LA, but you were really excited. You were both taking this risk and moving out. And then I think it was like a month or two later, and you had booked the role of Amy Santiago <laughs> on Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> like, you have not spent that much time after college just like not working. Like you have been pretty Nuh-uh! solidly. There was, there was almost six years between One Life to Live and Brooklyn. Oh, is that, that right? I- that I did not work very much. Oh, I didn't yes. know that. Oh, oh, that's okay. That's interesting. Yes, there was it's all about, interesting, but almost, I didn't know that. Almost six, almost six years. Yeah, I think about that. Um, and those years were a struggle. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you're living in New York City and you're not making soap opera York. anymore. Yeah, David was still working on the soap, and oh, so okay. that helped. Um, 
God, David must feel good about that now because, like, David's doing fine. But I think, like, when he was helping, he was doing, (laughs) he was earning more. (laughs) He must hold on. I know I would. I would hold on to that. There was a time. (laughs) There was a time when. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've been very, very lucky that we. I think maybe our first year in LA was probably the longest amount of time that we went where we were both kind of like down and not working. But one of us has always sort of been, you know, and then this is the first time in our careers where we both feel like we're up and you know what I mean? Like, and have cool things going on, but it always sort of would switch. It'd be me and then it'd be him and then it'd be me and then it'd be him, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I did. I did book Brooklyn um, about a year after I moved here. I got here in January of I don't remember what year. And so it wasn't that pilot season. It was the next pilot season. Oh, OK. So you spent a year in L.A. being like, what the fuck is this? Where am I? Yeah. What, who am I? Yes. Everybody goes through that. I've, I've talked about that a little bit on here. It's like you when, when you move to L.A., you're like, where am I? <laughs> yeah. Who am I? Who am I? That's the big one. The big one is who, who am I? I don't know why that I? happens in LA, but you get here and you're like, who am I? Who the fuck? <laughs> why am I here? Oh my God, that's so true. And I just turned 30. I was really having that that first year. Yeah. Yep. We have, uh, we've become even better friends. We are friends with each other's spouses. My My wife went to college with us. And you knew Catherine from college. I did know Catherine because we were in Stone Street together, the film and television. She and Marissa and I were all in the same, like, group. So we had all our classes at Stone Street together. And then Marissa and I always hit it off really well. Marissa is your wife's best friend. Yeah. Um, And she's also half Cuban. So we were like, Cubans. Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I actually would see Marissa almost every pilot season that I would come because those five years in between One Life and Brooklyn, I would come out to L.A. every pilot season for oh, like okay. right. six weeks or whatever, four weeks. And um, I would see Marissa almost every time. And I think then were you hanging out or you just mean you bumped into each we other? would just like, no, we would hang out. We okay. would like intentionally get lunch or a coffee. Like I would see her once a year, you yeah. know. Um, and so then when I moved out and then after I bumped into you in the bar and then Catherine and I, and then I told Marissa that I was pregnant. And when I told her my due date, she said, no way. That is Catherine's due date. (laughs) Right. So then this incredible thing happened where we were in the, we were at Cedars at the same time with our first kids uh, having our first kids and then you I can't even remember if I'm remembering this correctly did you come visit us like after in our yes. room like after you gave birth how the heck did you do that because I because I had Enzo the day before yeah but still so then, but then so then you guys had Henry the next day and I was like you guys were three doors down for yeah. me so I was like, I'm going to go hobble down to their room and meet the baby. And I did. It was so, so special. I down in my hospital gown. <laughs> and you guys had just had him. And so you were like in this, in that state. Yeah. And I would just like came in like, hey, guys. 
and bond over Henry and then went back to my room. <laughs> that was incredible. But we were like literally three doors from each other. It was so nuts. And nuts that we had the same due date and our and our boys both like came on their due dates. Like like Yeah. Catherine and I like we didn't go late. We weren't early. Like those boys came our due date was the 25th, which is your son's birthday, and Enzo came the day before. Yeah. Totally Nuts. crazy. So weird. Such a great memory. And I think Anne, we, didn't we find out that like Anne Hathaway was there at the same time? Really? Or maybe Catherine told me that. Yeah. Maybe. She was. She might have been there too at the same time. Um, well, we've got to invite her in on this friendship then, this little party. Let's do it. I heard she's, she's a big musical theater. I heard. <laughs> she, she is. She did Les she Miserables. She went to high school with Alan Rathis. Beg pardon? She went to high school, I think, with Alan Rathis. She's a Jersey girl. She went to uh, Milbourne High School. Got it. Um, so now our kids hang out, which is really, really special. And um, mm-hmm. what you? Oh, I was gonna say. So you, you just welcomed your second son, Axel. You have two boys. I have two boys. Another guest on the show, Baron Vaughn, had his second boy. I think this year. Um, I know Kath and I talk about trying for a girl every once in a while. What? Is that is that something that you and David are thinking about? Or is this it? Hell no. <laughs> this shop is closed. Yep. <laughs> yep. There is no universe that exists. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm asking myself to be jinxed right now, right? <laughs> right. The Lord might say something. <laughs> the Lord might have something to say. If you, if anyone, believe, um, yes, if, if, no, if you believe in him. no intention of trying for a girl. And also, all both of David's brothers only have boys. So I'm now just convinced that, like, we it would just be another boy. Like, if we went right. for a third, it would just be another boy. And I am not, I love my boys to death. Two is good. Three boys sounds, three kids just sounds, you know, God bless everybody that does it. Good for you. Yeah. Not for me. <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone. No, it's just, but, you know, boys are a lot yeah. of work. Boys are a lot of work. Or Kids at are least a lot of work. The boys Kids that I have are already a lot of work. Yeah. But I don't know if I would know anything. I have no idea. That's just my personal experience so far. But they're Right. But it's we're having such a such a great time. Um okay, so now you're headed into your eighth season. Yes, that's crazy to of say. Brooklyn yeah. Nine. Now, uh the latest news was that the the cast and the creative team had donated uh, $100,000 to the National Bail Fund Network uh, in response to the protesting of police brutality and systemic racism. There was even bigger news that followed that the show was scrapping four whole episodes that were already shot in favor of... No, they were they no. were just kind of written. They weren't shot. Oh, they were written and not shot. Okay, got it. And that was in favor of uh, reimagining this eighth season to meet the moment that we're currently in. Mm-hmm. The show has tackled social issues on more than one occasion. There's an episode in which Terry's character is racially profiled. 
Um, there's also an episode that deals with in the midst of the Me Too movement that dealt with sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, how is this moment different as far as you know? Are we expecting a full season that is going to be dedicated to some of these issues about police brutality, systemic racism, qualified? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the industry as a whole, I I think I hope I imagine I know our show is and I my hope is that all cop shows are digging deep and looking at how we have contributed possibly to a toxic culture that exists within some police departments um and how we've you know um and how you know perhaps there's been a singular version or vision of of what police are in our storytelling and how that's really a disservice and it's not truthful um you know, there's also been, I think, a lot of light on who's writing these cop shows and how overwhelmingly white they are and devoid of people of color in the writers' rooms. Yeah. Um, and so I think moving forward, I hope that everybody is like doing a lot of self-reflecting about that and thinking about how we want to present these stories um, and what our responsibility is, you know, as, as story, because, you know, art and storytelling can be really powerful. It can shape people's opinions. Um, You know, I always use this as an example, even though it's a completely different topic, but like people were so much more homophobic until they fell in love with Will and Grace, you know, with Will and Jack, like, and how that show humanized something that for some, you know, for people that had never met a gay person, you know? Um, So we have a lot of power in the stories we tell and we have to, so I think we have to be really responsible with how we tell them. Um, So I think our show is in a unique position that we have tackled some of these social issues and we've definitely shown corrupt cops. We've shown corruption. We've shown abuse of power. Mm. Um, You know, we haven't with the squad necessarily, you know, I think we've with the squad, we've presented like, to us like an ideological uh idea of what we hope <laughs> police men are like yeah uh, police officers are like um and i think and 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 i think our show if you watch our show i think there is some truth we're telling in the background of our show with the police officers and the establishment that like surrounds our main characters um so i don't know maybe it's going to be bringing more of that world to the forefront um more in the characters faces i think the writers are thinking about all the possibilities um i think yeah it's it's but i think we're in a unique position and we have a unique opportunity where like Mm. it can still feel like brooklyn 99 without you know i don't think it's going to feel like a different show Um, but because we've done those things in the past, like we have this opportunity to like 
do even more, you know, and if we get it right, it could be incredible. At the same time, I'm well aware of the pressure that they feel in the writer's room right now. (laughs) And I'm well aware of, you know, how much Dan Gore wants to get it right and do something that feels impactful and feels true to the show um, and to the fans. And it's a tall order. It's really is. Um, and we'll just see, but I, I, you know, I, I have faith in the show and I have faith in our writers and I'm excited, um, that we have an opportunity to maybe do something meaningful. Um, and you know, but, and, and, and also at the end of the day, like we're still going to be Brooklyn and we're still going to be out for jokes and we're still going to be out to make people laugh. And, you know, aside from, all of those issues that are going on, just like it being this year and the election and coronavirus. I, you know, I'm also like just really proud to work on a comedy that's like helping people escape a bit and laugh and have a bit of joy. You know, um, our episodes were still airing at the beginning of shutdown or shelter in place orders. Yeah. And just seeing like so many messages and tweets about like, oh my God, thank you for giving me like, a 30 minute mental break tonight and I haven't laughed all week and I laughed tonight watching your show like whoo that shit like makes me um, like uh, like emotional you know because yeah it's um it's such a small thing but you're just like great great you know <laughs> thank god I, I can be a part of something that's putting that out in the world you know um so yeah, all the things. It's uh, I'm excited for this season. Whenever we get to shoot it. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. <laughs> to see, yeah, I'm excited to see it. As I know, a lot of people are. And um, to go a bit further back in the show's history, um, what was the move like when you y'all moved from Fox to NBC? Um, did anything materially change about the show from your perspective, or was it just a new business parent? Was there a significant staff turnover, like a brand new crew you were working with? Did the network notes change significantly? No. No. Uh, to be honest, uh, when we went back that season, that first season with NBC, we sort of had to like, we kind of forgot <laughs> that there was this big change until it would come up in an interview or when we did an event or um, because we've had the same crew since season one for the most part um the bulk of it you know we've had some people leave and some new people but like we've had a lot of crew members that have been with us since season one so that was the same um where are we've had our same stage was the same um you know new people at our table reads and uh permission to do curse words and like bleeps and blurs which we couldn't do on fox what does Um, that mean that so we could uh, bleep curse words and blur images like blur new like have like blurred nudity or blurred, you know, we couldn't do oh, that on Fox. NBC That's lets a, you do that and Fox does not let you do that. Yeah. What really? So that was like oh, yeah more so conservative that was like a versus new not maybe thing that we had never gotten to do before. That's so funny though because so I feel fun. like on Fox like with married with children and like The Simpsons like they pushed all kinds of envelopes years ago yeah i mean maybe not i know as much yeah. i guess it depends on the show but with us i guess i don't know they huh. we, we couldn't we couldn't do that stuff 
That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, they were pretty uh, conservative with us. Now, last season, you were expecting your second child in real life. They incorporated it into the storytelling, but they made the opposite choice when you were pregnant for the first time, opting to hide it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the differences in shooting those two different seasons of network TV while pregnant? I mean... Well, the first time was a thousand times rougher. (laughs) Yeah. Because we were... I worked my entire pregnancy. I... I think when we started that season and that was when we were still doing like 23 episodes. So I started the season like maybe two months pregnant and I gave birth five days after we wrapped. Like, so I literally did the whole season pregnant, um, which was involved just compression socks and (laughs) like lots of, you know what are um, what are what is a what are compression socks oh god compression socks are like well the, what they sound like they're like really tight ass socks but they help with circulation oh my so god. they would help my ankles and feet from swelling to like ungodly means um so i would live in these compression socks and it's like how i would survive the day when i was like seven eight months pregnant oh on god. set um yeah, it was that season, but I was, I was, yeah, it was hard. And then <laughs> it was really hard, but it was fun. We had a lot of, it was only like our third season, I think. Um, and we had a lot of fun with all of the gags we did to hide my belly and my, our now DP, but at the time he was still a cameraman, Rick Page, kept a little notebook on his, in his pocket and kept track of all the things we used to hide my belly during throughout the season and then at the wrap party gave me a t-shirt with everything listed on the back oh that's nice <laughs> um so every and everyone was just like so great about it and so and a lot of our crew um because mike sure and dan gore like always like to work with the same people so a lot of our we have a lot of parks and rec people that work on our crew yeah so they had already been They'd through two that. pregnancies with amy polar right. on parks and rec i remember and um so wardrobe was like "Ugh, this is an old hat like here's what we do like everybody was so breezy about it which is how it should be because i've definitely heard oh yeah the other stories. stories from other actresses on sets when they're pregnant um And everyone just had fun with it. And that was so meaningful to me and so, like, amazing. Um, But I did crazy things that season. I ran into the ocean, like, at 1 in the morning when I was, like, five months pregnant. Because we had some scene where it was, like, a polar bear swim. And Holt and Rosa are in the water. And I'm running in. And I have a big winter coat on that I originally wasn't supposed to have on. But I had to because I had just popped. And so they were like, well, we can't show you in your bathing suit because you're obviously pregnant. So so then I had to run into the freezing cold water and then I could feel like the baby doing these somersaults in my Poor stomach. And I like, was like, nobody Google freezing cold water and if it's bad when you're pregnant. Right. Okay, we're just going to get through this. <laughs> <laughs> and then with Axel, it was different because I started the season already like almost I basically just worked during my second trimester so it was like easier in the sense that I did a lot less work and got to kind of be on maternity leave for my 
third trimester, but also like starting kind of right before the second trimester was like, I had no fucking stamina to be on set again and be on set pregnant, you know? So I just felt like, and I had a lot, I had bad back pain with Enzo, but I had a lot more with Axel. And so I just had like really bad body pain and I just felt like stamina wise, everything was so much harder because you know, I didn't have this like build up kind of like I did the first time, like, you know, since I started to work earlier, I felt like I got to like build up the stamina. And, and the second time I didn't, I was already like so pregnant. Hmm. Um, yeah. And then they used it. And then, and then for the finale, like I wasn't pregnant enough. So like in a weird twist of things, they had to put a pregnancy pad on my stomach. So I looked nine months pregnant because I was only like six or seven months pregnant more comfortable or less comfortable than hiding it making you more pregnant when you are pregnant both times uh i think less comfortable like there's nothing like when you're pregnant you don't want to like add bulk to your body (laughs) no i guess not (laughs) do you know what i mean like i had like my belly and then like this big ass like hot pad and then i was in sweats doing this whole crazy finale then I'm screaming pretending like I'm giving labor the crew is like especially people that like don't have kids are like can this like off like can you start your labor like and I'm like it doesn't work like that like we're fine like (laughs) everyone like everybody was more nervous like around me when I was shooting the finale they were like is this okay and I'm like guys do you not remember when I ran in the ocean (laughs) But definitely two um, unique experiences. Without question. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about uh, Hamilton, the musical, for a minute. Ooh, huh? And, which just debuted as a film on Disney+. Plus. You and Lin-Manuel Miranda have become good friends. I know. We kind of have. It's kind of crazy. He now plays it. Amy Santiago's brother on Brooklyn Yes. Island. Yeah. How did you both meet originally? So, this is our origin story. After we won the Golden Globe season one, Lynn tweeted about Brooklyn and how he loved the show. I think it was some like, oh, my favorite show won the Golden Globe, something like that. I, being a huge In the Heights fan, having seen mm-hmm. it three times on Broadway, oh, cool, lost my fucking shit when he tweeted about Brooklyn. And I was like, oh, my God, Lin-Manuel Miranda watches our show. Yeah. And everybody at work was like, who dat? And I was like, ugh. Oh, really? Man. <laughs> yeah, because this is no respect come for... out yet. Yeah. So fast forward to my good friend Renee Goldsberry is like, I'm working on this Lin-Manuel Miranda workshop. And it's amazing. And it's the most incredible thing I've ever worked on. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my Like, losing my mind. Oh, my God. Lin-Manuel Miranda has a new musical coming out. So, and then also I've become friendly with um, Javier uh, Munoz. Who played his his understudy. They said, yeah, yeah. there was an article about him that he was, that he's the greatest understudy of all time. Javi is incredible. I saw Javi do the Usnavi role in In the Heights. I didn't know him at that time, but we had mutual friends and I met him after the show. He went to our school. I think. Yeah, yeah. He went to NYU too. We have a million mutual friends. 
Um, and then he and I ended up doing an indie movie together and that's where we became friends. Cool. So between, so then I knew two people that were involved in this Hamilton musical and I, David was working on power in New York. Your husband. Yeah. My husband. And it had just opened at the public theater and I basically, um, I think I, I think I reached out to Renee first and she was like, oh, I don't have any tickets left. She was like, why don't you ask Javi? So I asked Javi and he's like, I don't have any tickets left, but I'm going to put you in touch with your super fan, Lynn, and he's oh going to get you take, he's going to get you tickets. And so then Lynn emails me and he's like, I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine and here's this person, you're going to get tickets. And so then I went with Michael Miller one oh, of my yeah. best friends. Our friend from college. <laughs> because David was shooting till like really late at night. He couldn't go. And then I, and then Hav, after the show, Javi came and got me and brought me to the basement. And I met Lynn in the basement. And my, I'm, as anyone who's seen Hamilton, you know, that feeling of like your brain has just exploded and you've seen the most incredible thing ever. Yeah. I was in that state. And then Lynn was like trying to talk to me about Brooklyn and like, and I was like, no, what? <laughs> Everything about this is wrong. Don't talk about my show. <laughs> wow. And it was crazy. And then, and and yeah, and then we just started from there. It just grew. Then I saw the show again. I saw it again when it went to Broadway. Um, and, and we just like, you know, a, fr a friendship grew. And so then cool. we kept campaigning. And then everyone, of course, knew of him at work and knew that he was a fan you know and then people were coming up to me like did you know Lin-Manuel Miranda is a fan of Brooklyn and I was like shut the fuck up <laughs> um <laughs> yeah uh and yeah and we finally uh were able to have him on as as a brother which was always like was the plan for a long time and it just it took a while though for schedules to line up yeah. Sure. I can understand that. Yeah. And now I've heard that he typically like he seeks to pull his talented friends in on projects. Um, you're trained in musical theater. Have you ah, have you both talked about collaborating? No. no, no. When he was when he when he was on Brooklyn, we talked a little bit. He was asking me a little bit about, you know, he was like, what shows did you do at NYU? And I was like, we're not. Listen, here's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> we're not comparing I, you know notes. I, I, I was I was always like the actor slash dancer who could kind of sing so I, I never like even though that I wanted that's what I wanted to do I also in college like I just thought I was going to be like a chorus girl like dancing in the background for a few years and then maybe I was like going to teach or something like that's what that you was, thought your career was going to be that's what I thought my career was going to be holy shit yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get to do some acting because I always did love acting the most. Um, but I think because I felt like everyone saw me as a dancer, that that was what was going to end up being my my fate, you know, I guess. Hmm. Um, yeah. So but yeah, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I hope to work with Lynn many, many times. We have yeah. a joke now because we just played 
husband and wife for the one day at a time episode. Right. I was going to ask a little about that. So you recur, you've recurred on one day at a time over at Netflix, which follows three generations of the same Cuban American family living in the same house a newly divorced former military mother, her teenage daughter and tween son and her old school mother. Yeah. And um, there, there was a successful movement to get the series renewed. Am I right? Yes. Which was so oh, yeah. exciting because, yeah, there's and not they, uh, Latinx shows are uh, pretty slim pickings. So right. I was really um, happy to see that show got picked up by Pop TV. And they recently did a special animated episode that was politics themed where the family get a visit from their conservative family members, which includes your character and Lin-Manuel again and he's playing your husband here yeah interesting so now we have a joke i was like well now we have to see how many things we can just play like how many ways we can play family members in everything <laughs> yeah, we do sure, totally just to, just to get that <laughs> like, just we just have to keep you know acting in things together where we're related and Finally, you recently made a pair of directorial debuts with an installment of a series called uh, The Front Seat Chronicles, followed by directing an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Am I correct with that so far? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned from your directing assignments? Whew. Um, I mean, it sounds cliche, but yeah, I learned so much. Um, I also was because especially jumping in front seat chronicles was sort of like my let me see if i even like directing before i really try to pursue this it was like very low budget kind of web series that i had a connection to the creators too and i used my friends kim allen who we went to college with yeah and um so you know and it was like we did it in three hours like whatever but it showed me that i did I did really enjoy this experience. I've always really loved actors, um, you know, not in like, I think some actors with fellow actors can feel, you know, that competition or that, but I just like genuinely love like other actors and like talking to them about their process or how they work. And I yeah. find it all like just really fascinating. And so then on Brooklyn, it was, still just kind of like a big unknown like what if i do this and i hate it or i'm really bad at it or it's like like a like really a struggle to like sloth through all this work and even though deep down i i i didn't think that would be the case but i think that was like a little bit of the fear going into it and i just loved it i loved all mm -hmm. the homework I loved all the preparation. Oh my god. Prep week was my like favorite. Like such a nerd. Like yeah, like told like really, you know, having that in common with Amy, I guess. Loved my binder. Um <laughs> and uh loved getting to spend time with some of our crew members that don't that aren't on set, like especially like everybody from art department and set deck, like those people are not on set every day, so you rarely see them and then getting to spend like a whole week with them and they're so creative yeah and they're just really artists and so yeah. you spend that whole week just being inspired by people that are so good at what they do and then going into it and just you know uh i think this cast is one of the most talented casts on television and yeah. even though i work with them 
all the time there was something about sitting at the monitor and watching them take after take and just be like oh my god like they're just so and and finishing a scene from that point of view and that mindset and going I have 10 different ways the scene could go like and the scene could be edited like I have so many good options and so many good joke options like holy shit you know and then um and then and then editing was like you know the part that was the hardest and the most stressful because it's the area that I have the least amount of experience in um so you know that's the area that I'm trying to learn you know expand my knowledge like the most um because that part felt really overwhelming um but the but the onset person time and working with the actors um it was so fun it was so fun and um everyone was so supportive and everybody really like had my back and um God, it was that day with Chelsea and we had like 200 extra or 100 extras. Maybe not that many. Um, Anyway, this theater like full of extras and it was, you know, and this whole like making the G crash down on the stage and it was such this like intricate day and Rick Page, our DP um, and our AD uh, Linda we just the three of us worked so hard on making sure that day was like super organized and we knew like every little thing we were going to do that day and everything that we had to get and yeah it was like that you know I love that shit like I love just that collaborative team kind of spirit you know um yeah it was so fulfilling so and I'm I can't wait to to hopefully do it again at some point yeah Okay. Okay. I, I want to say, Melissa, thanks so much for coming on here and chatting with me today. Um, you're one of my favorite people. Oh, likewise, bud. Thanks. thanks you're a good friend. You're, there are a few people I know who are as funny and genuine and smart and talented as you are. Oh. It's hella rare. Thanks. I'm going to bring you something nice next time I'm at your house. <laughs> That's that's what I wrote down to say. I wanted to make sure I said all that. Um, <laughs> I wish you the best always. Thanks again for doing this. Thanks, Ren. It's good to see your face. I miss you guys. You too. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Melissa Fumero from back in July. A big thank you again to Melissa for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. I talked a little bit earlier about our Patreon. We will be splitting 20% of all our Patreon signups for the rest of season one between the Louisville Community Bail Fund to protect folks protesting in the name of Breonna Taylor and to Black Lives Matter. Before we move on to our second interview today, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from today. We've got more incredible interviews coming up with folks like Ryder Doyle, Sarah Paxton, Christine Woods, Tembi Locke, Vinnie Chibber, and Elna Baker. If you like what you hear so far, please give us those five-star ratings, leave us a nice comment. We so appreciate all your ratings, reviews, and kind words, and we want to keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is David Langell. The day we spoke followed SAG-AFTRA's controversial new healthcare policy plan changes. David has proudly made his union health insurance for the last 10 years. We talk about the challenges of being a working actor, going to high school with Nikki Cookie Minaj, he also talks about joining the migration to become a bi-coastal L.A. Atlanta actor. David was in my wedding party. He's one of my very best friends. Here now is me talking with David. Double down. Lingel. 
How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. All right. Uh, let's do your sound test, test, test. Just talk about uh, whatever you want. Uh, so the Mets are ahead of the Washington Nationals by a score of 7-2 to two right now. We're in the bottom of the eighth inning. There's two on, two out. Pete Alonzo's up. <laughs> are you watching? Are you watching the game while you do this interview? No, I left the game, but I just. <laughs> All right, just making just, sure. So, how's it going, man? It's pretty good, you know. It. Uh, I have to admit, my anxiety levels are uh, are up and down, and. The last 24 hours, you know, it's a little bit of a red zone, but I'm, I'm doing okay. What was the last 24 hours? Well, I don't know if you heard about this, but SAG released that they're changing the health insurance plan and, and the eligibility for it. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of it's kind of scary. I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't know what's next, but it's a little bit of a shock. And um, I'm 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 not thrilled right now. Do you think is it going to kick you off of your current insurance? It might, yeah, because uh, I they raised the threshold of of eligibility by like eight thousand dollars. So in a year, in a year where nobody's making the money that they usually make, no one's working. Yeah. Now you. Sorry, I don't. You you, you you proudly have made your SAG after health insurance. How many years in a row? Do you, can, do you know offhand how many years you've qualified? No, but probably around 10. That's a huge accomplishment. Um, Th- thanks, man. Um, but it's, uh, it's a little shocking. I, I, I don't know uh, what it means exactly yet. I'm, I'm doing the webinar tomorrow morning. Um, yeah. Uh, is, this, is this the show? Have we started? This is the show, man. Yeah. Oh, this is great. <laughs> um, but sorry, I, I don't mean to get uh, anxious on the program. But uh, but no, it's just it's just you know, ask me how I'm doing, and, and that's just the first thing that I thought of. But yeah, dude, dude, I'm good. I'm good. How? Yeah, everything is uh, is just kind of we're starting over. You know, it feels like uh, we're rebuilding the, what we know to function in society you know uh, given the circumstances so yeah uh that that could induce some some nerves and anxiety but uh we will prevail and we will uh find a way to adapt because if you don't adapt then you know it's it's you you, you're left behind i don't know what to say yeah absolutely yeah now you um your lovely parents, Judy and Jean, they were visiting you in L.A., I think, when the stay-at-home order started. Am I right? Yeah, they were out here in March for their uh, winter visit. And, uh, you know, then came March 11th, March 12th, and uh, everything shut down. And they didn't want to get on a plane. And yeah. uh, they still don't. So, yeah, they're, they're chilling with me. But look, everyone is kind of uh, doing what they can to, you know, find shelter and, and stay safe. I, I know people that have left L.A. I know there's been a, a mass exodus from from big cities. I mean, not just L.A., but also New York. Yeah. Um, it's, um, you know, you have to do what you have to do. And, and uh, look, I'm, luck- I'm lucky that uh, I have them here. So, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, 
we're, we're doing our best and uh and we're getting through this thing yeah now one of your first jobs in hollywood was co-starring in a tv movie called pandemic starring tiffany amber Thiessen. correct yes <laughs> what a strange i remember when you booked that and it was this word i had never heard of i don't think had you heard the word pandemic before no, I had heard of epidemic, but pandemic uh, was new. And I remember there was an IMDb article about pandemic, uh, you know, like pandemic hits the Hallmark Channel. And, and I was like, oh, that doesn't sound great, uh, you know, but it was it was to promote this movie that, that they were. They were going to have for the Hallmark Channel, and then yeah, I, I, I got my first TV gig on that, and uh, th- that was very exciting. And yeah. uh, I, I liked the world better when pandemic was a good thing <laughs> for your <laughs> career, now, <laughs> right? Uh, now that it, 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 now that we all have a, a, a new relationship to that word, yeah, it's uh, it's really awful. Yeah, but, it is, yeah. Um, but no, Pandemic was a, it was a two-part miniseries starring, like you said, Tiffany Thiessen, French Stewart, Vincent Spano, David Langell. And um, I think I was the very last person uh, credited in the cast, which, uh, you know, I made the cut, you know? You had a lot of good, yeah, you had good scenes in that um, miniseries. Um, do you remember how they solved the pandemic in the story? Good question. I don't recall exactly how that went down. You know, this is going back to 2006, 2007. And uh, I know they recently recently re-released it uh, on Amazon and YouTube. But no, I, I think it had to do with finding the antibodies and then injecting that into making the vaccine. And uh, But in, in the movie, it only lasted a week, you know. Oh my God! Are you serious? Yeah, and it and it was mainly focused in Los Angeles, so I don't know how global um, it cover it was covered in the film, but uh, it it was nowhere near this epic of, of a situation. Yeah. Um. So some aspects of the entertainment business are starting to open up again. Um. Have you been auditioning again? Yeah. The the self tapes have been coming in. Um. But it's it's been definitely a new kind of auditioning. I mean, I've been doing self tapes for a couple of years now, but mostly um, for things that I couldn't be in person for for whatever reason. And now it's just the norm. So yeah, um, lo- lo- they're all self tapes. I haven't been in person for anything, and uh, what's really new is the self tapes for commercials and the Zoom. So it's like doing a live tape with uh, someone on the other end, which is which is different from a tape, tape like a normal self tape, where you know you you can can do it as many times as you want. But uh, right. but yeah, commercials and there's a lot of voiceover uh, because that's so easy to do from a remote location. So uh, so I've been doing the voiceover as well. Some uh, some TV stuff, but uh, that's that's all kind of happening later on in the in the process than the commercials and the 
voiceover, which seemed to have that, that seemed to have started first. So, so we've known each other for uh, twenty years now. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. You are the person on this podcast who I've known the longest so far. Um, you were also in my wedding party. Wow, that's right. Uh, we we met in college, but I knew you before college, right? You didn't know me, but I knew you. Yes, that's right. You uh, you saw me on a documentary series, um, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't even know that it, that anyone had seen that. But it, I'm glad that we figured that out. Yeah, so uh, I was in high school over in the UK, and there was a TV series on a channel over there called ITV, and it, I think it was called America High. Was that what it was called? Do you remember? I think. I think it was called New York High. That's what it was called. Yeah, it was called New York High. Right. And it focused on the LaGuardia High School of Performing Arts, which is a public school in New York City, um, where you went, a very famous school, uh, pun intended, I suppose, because it was the school that features in Alan Parker's Oscar-winning film, Fame. Yeah, the Fame School, as we like to call it. He just passed away. Did you know? Made. Did you know that Alan Parker just passed away? I think he passed away this year. I think I saw. Oh, I did not know that. That oh, sucks. A wonderful director. Yeah, it's one of my yeah. favorite movies. Did you like that movie? When you oh were. Oh my growing? god, I loved it. A- a- everyone who went to LaGuardia watched that movie the day before the first day of school, freshman year, and uh, I remember at orientation. You know, September, September 11th or September 9th, whatever the first day of school was in 1996. And uh, going around the room, one kid said, who else watched Fame last night? And everyone, like, laughed and giggled and, like, oh, like, oh my God. Yeah. I said, and I think I did, too. I, if I, did, I didn't watch it that night. I watched it some point that week. And yeah. it's just, I mean, that movie is it's kind of sad. Uh, I don't know. It's, it, it just, it really hits home. Uh, you yeah. know, there's a lot of nostalgia and, uh, and just, like, everyone can relate to that movie, you know, being an artist and, you know, growing up, living in New York, going to school in New York. Uh, being an actor in New York, it's just it's just tough, man. I mean, it, it's uh, but it's it's also a beautiful thing to experience that with fellow actors for the first time, and that's really what made LaGuardia so special is that we all kind of came together as you know children who you know wanted to break into this world, and and then you know the the, the innocence that we had kind of just learning it together and, and, and without pushing it too hard. I mean, I, I remember, you know, as a shy kid, I really didn't see where I fit into the theater world or the, or the acting community or just, just, the, just the, the actors in school. And I, I was so quiet and everyone else was so, like, boisterous and chatty and outgoing. And mm. when, I, when I did my scene or whatever, my exercise, you know, it, it kind of allowed me to exist without pushing it out because I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just this awkward kid. And um, it really allowed me to to do good work because I wasn't trying to do anything. And now as an actor, you know, as an adult, it just, I wish I could capture that innocence and, and, and lack of pushing yeah. because I, 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 I'm so over the top in, 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 or in, in, in a lot of my performance because I'm trying to be something. I'm trying to repeat 
what has worked. You know what I mean? So like, it, it loses the authenticity. But back then, it was just so pure. Yeah, I remember you saying on occasion that your best work is behind you. <laughs> well, we all kind of feel that way. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's, it's it's tough to uh, to always you know be at your top level when you've already performed at a top level because you're always comparing yourself to what you've already done. So look, we're we're, we're we are all our own worst critics in some form. Yeah. And uh, when, when I said that to you, you know, half in jest, but, you know, there is truth to it. And, and as an actor, you know, your performance, especially in the theater, it, it, it doesn't live on forever. It only, only in your memory. So, I mean, you remember how the people around you responded to it. And it, it seems so special at the time. But, yeah. uh, you know, if it's not a painting and if it's not captured on film, it's it's gone. I mean, that's that's another, you know. Yeah, you just remember like crushing in a high school play where people are making so much noise that you are for what you just did. You remember that like wall of sound coming back at you from a, a from a very happy audience. It's a beautiful thing, and um, and that's all just you know a nice memory for a lot of us at this point. But um, but you know you make new ones and and. Yeah, uh, look, I, 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 I do believe there is plenty of opportunity to do fine work for all of us, right, Claude? I mean, oh, absolutely. Just... Well, your work is, I, you know, I having only seen uh, clips of you from high school, and even that being strange. Right. Um, right, those clips, well, the, which I have never seen. Yes. Yeah, the work that I saw you do was mostly in college, and uh, you, you have a, you, you have a like a an ability to sort of um, throw yourself into character in a way that a lot of folks, when they're starting with acting or coming into acting at some point, there is a sort of a, that shyness that you were talking about. I think that you figured out a way to like isolate different aspects of your instrument, your vocal instrument, your physical instrument, and sort of step outside of your own shyness and put your attention into character what the character is going for and using those instruments to communicate the story in a very um, st startling way. So like when you, when you, when I see you, I remember you doing a character at Adler. I think you did the dad in proof in a little production at sure. school and you had the presence of an older man in a way that lived in your, your voice and your body in a way that was startling because even though when people meet you, you're sort of a perennial 50-something-year-old character actor at first blush. You, um, you've, you've always, uh, you, it's still startling to hear that coming out of a 20-year-old. Yeah. Uh, it, what can I say? It's a gift to be uh, given old physical characteristics at a young age. Um, <laughs> Although not always old, so old. You, you'd been compared many times to David Schwimmer as well sure yeah uh definitely i've been getting that since friends came out yeah but um you have a couple of looks at least yeah no no the 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 age then the character stuff is is all i mean it is a gift and um look i, I also have a young face you know pe yeah. people often tell me now especially that we are getting older that you know they don't know how old i am because um because, like you said, I have these kind of older features, and then 
also I just haven't really changed that much. Uh, so, you've, you've uh, described yourself as a hair actor. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, yeah, just uh, just because I, I'd like to uh, just change, do different hairstyles, facial hair, you know, mustache, beard, goatee, sideburns, uh, you know, comb over, comb <laughs> down the middle, Van Dyke, circle beard, you know, bushy beard. <laughs> Um, even body hair. So it's it's just. Does that like lead you? Is that your first sort of um, touchstone with a character? Is the is the kind of way you're going to wear your hair? Well, I have embraced a certain look in the last ten years that I've I've been using as a marketing tool. But going back to the early days, uh, yeah, you know, I would kind of pick pick a hair style or or. or facial hair uh, you know style and and kind of go from there but yeah with the hair and the voice um you know these superficial physical qualities do inform from the outside in you know but yeah. it, it, it also leads to you know kind of an over-the-top uh performative aspect where you're not getting that same internal energy which which reads so well on camera well i love so. that i think it works great on camera i think the thing that a lot of people presume about uh, acting for film and tv is that it needs to be small or it needs to be so subtle and to be honest in my when you think about it that's really only the one like ryan gosling michelle williams movie that comes out once a year i mean there are a lot of stuff that happens on film and television you know a sitcom is theater you know nobody that's nobody right. in real life goes pivot when moving a couch sure and the, or, or with the laugh track behind it right you know, so that, like, that's an audience that's right. theater and then when you think yeah. about even the single camera comedies like uh unbreakable kimmy schmidt or the last og i mean those performances are huge. And when you think about a movie like Julie and Julia, when you think of, when you look at like Meryl's work there or in, or, or, or Tucci and um, Devil Wears Prada, or, I mean, these are big performances with physical architecture that, you know, um, so I think you are very well suited for all of those different forums. Um, what would you say is you, was your biggest struggle in terms of being small, like on a particular project? Do you have one that comes to mind? Uh, well, you know, w when you're in the turning point of a story, then you kind of have to raise the stakes and find the, the balance. So, I mean, what just came to mind I was uh, an independent film I did where I was one of the ensemble of main characters, and we reveal to, um, to the other characters in the movie that we've been conning them the whole time mm. and and i'm having a moral dilemma where i have to let them know that it's it's all a con and i remember the director um my good friend jason lockhart uh who's now my agent but um he he <laughs> said to me um look i want i want you to take everything you you've ever learned in an acting class all your history i want you to use that in this scene and I was just like, "Wow, okay, that doesn't put any pressure on me." But uh, <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I, I'm gonna try to harness this intensity, and and focus it to play out the story. And um, you know, I, 
it, it's tough because you're really you're really trying and you push and you know you're you're given this opportunity to you know showcase high emotion and and you can kind of get anticipated a little bit too much to the point where you're forcing it out and that does it, it's it's tough but you know we did it and um the movie the movie the movie played it was a good it was a good little independent movie and that scene uh was just fine you know i'm mm. not I, it, it, it's tough like i like i said earlier you know we're all our own worst critics and uh, it's hard for me to watch it to be honest with you but um is it hard for you yeah, to watch a lot of your work you know i i i'm critical of it yeah but i i i, I do like to watch and then make adjustments i mean it's really helpful especially within the self-tape process because you can see what you're doing in the first take or two and then kind of adapt to it and, and i mean it's real really a pleasure to and a luxury to have that in, in an auditioning process because so often well like the the norm was just to go in and not know really how you did with zero feedback mm, so yeah uh, so it's nice it's nice to have that feedback even if it's only on your own I guess it, it is a little bit the way that athletes rewatch their plays. Uh, you know, they're, it, it, I think for actors, when they're beginning, if they, if they throw themselves on tape too early and they're noticing everything about the, what their eyebrows do or eyelids or, you know, then I think it can be paralyzing in terms of person, a person becoming too neurotic about... Yeah, a lip quiver. <laughs> exactly. I think that yeah. one thing that actors, it takes time to learn is that you, everything you do, like, uh, you know, I remember like... Uh, Mark Marin on his podcast, he was talking about getting on glow and or some of his early acting work and that, you know, he's on set with a coffee cup and he suddenly finds himself saying, like, is that how I hold a coffee cup? Like, is that what I'm supposed to? Is that how people hold coffee cups? And I think right. like for for when you're a seasoned, more seasoned actor, you you learn after a certain point that everything you do is the right answer. You just have to allow people to see you. Right. And right. hear you. Sure. No, I mean, if you can live and breathe in front of other people, then you're finding authenticity. It's when, yeah. you know, you, you push it out and you're so aware of what's going on around you that it changes, you know, what you would normally do. That's that's when you're kind of in the danger zone of of schmacting or right. just just too much. It's, it's a delicate balance. It's a weird thing we do. It is. Actors. It sure is. Well, yeah. um so tell me, like, when you were at LaGuardia also, I was curious, because I think you had mentioned that you'd gone to school with, was, did you say Nicki Minaj was there when you were there? She was my classmate, yes, Nicki Minaj. What was that like, being in high school with Nicki Minaj? You know, it was great. Uh, she wasn't Nicki Minaj back then. Um, we all called her Cookie. And she oh. was a spunky kid in our in our class and a uh, great actor. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that she was a rapper or singer at the time. Um, and uh, I'm really pumped for her now. I mean, she's really mega star success story and uh, I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, she was, she was really a, a great classmate, talented. Um, she's from Queens also. So, you know, it's, it's nice to, you know, hear Queens, mentioned in, in in the mainstream commercial <laughs> pop superstar world yeah but um but yeah no she played some great characters i remember she did a scene from final placement i remember she played the fortune teller and 
I don't know, it was just brilliant. It was it was one of our senior projects, and um, yeah, no, she did some fine work. And uh, look, it's it's. I, I hope to cross paths with her one day. Yeah, man, I'm, absolutely. Um, were there other folks that uh, from your class that have gone on to do at least as well or half as well as she has, or you have? Uh, me? What? No. But, uh, <laughs> I <said> you. <laughs> no, um, I, I don't. I can't think of any other celebrities. Uh, oh, really? Interesting. Okay, I would have thought maybe more. Uh, no, I mean that's that's a big one though. Yes, she is absolutely. You're one of the busiest actors that I'm friends with. Um, although not everyone may know your name, you've made a name for yourself with many of the important casting offices in L.A. Um, you are reliably castable in a number of kinds of roles, as we've sort of alluded to already. You've racked up over over 50 episodes of television across 35 different TV series before the age of 40. Um, in effect, you are bringing back uh, a classic kind of Hollywood journeyman actor. Um, you may not always be high up on the call sheet, but you don't stop working. And many of your uh, roles have turned into recurring jobs. Yeah, I, I'm very lucky, very grateful. And um, circumstances have allowed some of those recurring jobs to happen. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the most recent one, that aired on TV was just, it was uh, like a three line role as a reporter on a Disney channel show. And then I ended up doing five episodes and I probably would have done more if, if the show was still going. Um, yeah. And they really embraced me as kind of a, a, a character on that series. Um, yeah. Just, just stuff like that. You know, you go in for a co-star and then, and then you fit into the world and then they, you know, just, Instead of bringing in a, another random co-star, they just bring me back. So it's 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 really uh, it's, it's a really cool thing when that happens. The stars kind of align. And it does, it's not always the case because it depends on the circumstance of the character with the others, and uh, you know it depends uh, like where they are. If they're on a field trip to a, uh, a snake sanctuary, then they're probably not going to. The kids are probably not going to go back there every week. <laughs> but if but if it's someone who works in the school, then right. there's room for that person to come back, you know, multiple times because the school is such a big part of the show on a show like Henry Danger, where I would play the janitor, you know. So that that show, I came back five times you, in you, the school. You really visualized that janitor role into existence because I think you were. I don't know how many things you've written on your own, but I think that you had at one point before you got that role, you had envisioned a janitor role for yourself. Am I? Getting that? Am I confused? No, no, that that no, that's absolutely true. Because, um, <laughs> uh, I, well, you know, Claude, I, I was a janitor in uh, in Queens in in college in high school. I, I I for my summer work, I would work in in the schools as a janitor, and um and it and it was a really good summer job. Yeah. And and then I always thought, well, if I need to write a pilot or something or a script i would i would kind of create this persona as as a, a guy who went back to the school that he attended as a child but this time as a janitor kind of in the vein of welcome back cotter but this time it would be just you know me as <laughs> dave you know welcome back dave and you know it's this guy who's like not doing great in the world and he has to you know 
He has to become a janitor, which, you know, no shame in that. It's, yeah, I, I loved it. It was a great yeah. job. And, 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 you know, it's, All right, it's you really. Hear, you uh, hear that, major streamers? Get your, start your engines on that project. Yeah, rev them up. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, but also uh, I, I got the – I had a, a jumpsuit in my closet from playing the zookeeper – in the House of Blue Leaves, Artie Shaughnessy. Oh, yeah, I remember, so, yeah. So, so, so they let me keep that costume, and then I auditioned for the, for the janitor role on Henry Danger in that, and I also auditioned to play an exterminator on House of Lies in that same jumpsuit, and I booked both of them. And then um, they did the Scottish play at Art of Acting, and I played the porter, and I played him as a janitor in a jumpsuit, you know, in, in the navy blue dickies. And they let me keep that costume. So now I have <laughs> now I have two jumpsuits. Um, so I, you know, I can play the janitor. You're anytime. you're ready to do anything involving utilities. Master of the custodial arts. <laughs> so but you recently really. you recently worked with uh, Clint Eastwood. In his movie, Richard Jewell. Congratulations. Thanks. Isn't that crazy? We're getting Clint Eastwood into this podcast? I know. Hey, sure. It's wonderful. We've Clint Eastwood and Nicki Minaj and in the same uh, podcast. Well, cool. Clint, N- Nicki, Cookie, if, if you're listening, I just wanted to say, what up? <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, we'll have to tweet at her. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what was it like I working with, uh, with, with Clint? It was, I mean, it's a dream come true just to even have that thought in your head, right? And then for it to physically manifest in reality, uh, unbelievable. I walked up uh, a metal grade that was makeshift just for the film, and there he was on the third floor of this metal grade in the middle of Olympic Village in Atlanta, Georgia, to recreate uh, the 1996 Summer Olympics where the Richard Jewell story took place because of that bombing that he was blamed for, but he was innocent. And um, going up those stairs, seeing Clint Eastwood, I mean, it was just a surreal moment. I, and and I played a cameraman, and someone was telling me, okay, this is a, a $100,000 camera, don't drop it. And I was like, oh, God. And, and, but there, there was Clint at, at the, the, the set uh, uh, on this grate, which was kind of a... Uh, a prop craft service table he was eating that as if it was the real craft service table hmm. and i thought that was cute hmm. but um but yeah i mean i mean living legend and he, he doesn't call action he I, I i took my place before our scene and i hear him you know from the from the floor above me yell okie dokie and I was like, I was like, what? And then some, some PA said to me, go, go, go. I was like, all right. And so I'm walking up the stairs with this hundred thousand dollar camera, and uh, I, I do my first take, and um, I, and then I see Clint smiling, and I'm like, awesome. Wow. So I think it went well, and you know, I'm in the movie. I, I have my two short scenes. I got, you know, a few lines. I think it's on HBO now. A few people have been texting me that they've seen it. So, no, yeah. it was, uh, I mean, uh, unbelievable that I, I, to work with Clint Eastwood. I mean, really. You, you also got a role in Disney's upcoming Jungle Cruise 
Am I right? Is it two? Jungle Cruise two? No, Jungle Cruise, right? No, it's just Jungle Cruise. Yeah, they starring starring the uh, starring The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and you got to work with him. And I got to work with The Rock. Yeah. What um, was that? What was that like? Well, that was uh, that was awesome too, and um, you know the movie unfortunately has been pushed due to the uh, state of the world, but um, yeah, still still scheduled to come out. Um, next year, I believe, next summer. And uh, The Rock is an amazing person. He has got so much on his plate, and he's so positive, and he shows up so prepared, so funny, so charming, so kind. Um, Did I... I didn't really have a personal interaction with him um, because we were in the reshoot portion of of the filmmaking. So when when he... came to set we were already on the boat and he just kind of came to do his coverage but he was very kind and you know really an orb of bright energy surrounded him and i I was standing right next to him and really just honored to be there um within this group scene um and uh yeah really really just magical experience to be in the wonderful world of disney with the rock in a major motion picture. I mean, uh, how, how'd that happen? You know, like <laughs> you, p- p- pinch me. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> okay. I got one more for you. So you're also appearing in the highly anticipated Eddie Murphy film coming to America with a number two. Yeah. That's where I was getting to. No, I, I that's, that's what it's listed at right now for sure. And so, can you remind? So, did you get to work with the man himself in that? Yeah, my scene is with Eddie Murphy. Wow. And uh, uh, look, I hope I'm in the movie. It's a quick scene. I don't want to say too much about it because, uh, you know, it's early. But, but, yeah, I mean, look, being from Queens, uh, this is a movie that is such a love letter to Queens. So, I'm just I'm just honored to to be in it. You know, in the original film, uh, Big Brother Jake plays the taxi driver in a great scene. I don't know if you remember. It's a, one thing Queens has, it's common parts. So, you know, he has that scene wearing a Mets hat, of all things. Oh, I, okay. uh, spoiler alert, I do not wear a Mets hat in in this movie. But, uh, you know, hopefully I get, I get a moment or two in, in, you know, part of Hollywood history. Uh, you know, I'm not, I, 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 the, the script is hysterical. Hopefully it, it all comes out great, you know? Yeah. Now, like a fair amount of L.A. working actors, you've signed with an Atlanta agency and now regularly fly yourself out to audition for projects. That's where those last three bookings have come from, right? Thank God, yeah. Thank God. Do you like, uh, do you like Atlanta? I love Atlanta. At- Atlanta has been just a gift to me and uh so many actors and it's just like an island of of culture and 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 show business and kindness and and it's just it's just a good place that is not you know what we're used to in california so it it it, it's really and, and and i have so many friends there now who i love and um you know going back and forth honestly i don't know how it's going to work in the future because, mm. you know, the world has kind of restarted in this new way. So, 
but I, but I'm blessed. I mean, last year it w- was really, um, I mean, it's, it's almost like I lived in Atlanta last year because I didn't, yeah. uh, all, all my work was, was there. So, I mean, I, I was just, I was just so happy to, to be in that environment, which was kind of like a fresh start for me, just kind of a transition to what the next phase of my life is because right now no one knows what that is but if, uh, it, it served as kind of a bridge and um, whether it takes me back or I can continue to go back and forth or I'm here you know I, I, I'm just grateful for that year of my life in my career that I had the ability to to, to work in Atlanta and I, I really pray that I continue to work there and obviously in Los Angeles and hopefully New York too I would love to work in New York yeah I mean I mean the world's getting so small uh, in terms of auditions because of the remote self-tape environment and 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 the reality of that but what I'm seeing is that they really want you in the location while you audition because flying is an issue so you know if you're gonna work in LA you should be in LA if you're gonna be in Atlanta you should be in Atlanta you know if you're gonna work in Atlanta um but Hopefully, all that will be worked out, right? Because it, 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 it seems like it will be. It's just, you know, and everyone's got a different opinion on it uh, because no one really knows what's happening next. Right. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, where can people find you online, David? I have an Instagram account, um, which is just my name, at David Langell. I'm on Twitter, which I don't really use. That's uh, at Dave Langell, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not too much of a, a social media mogul, as, as in I'm not. Uh, but I, 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 I like I pop on Instagram. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. You're fun on Instagram. I like following following your activities when on those occasions when uh, we can't grab lunch. I can see what you're up to. Um, I love you, bud. I love you too, man. Uh, uh, how do we do? Are we doing good? We're doing good. I think that's it. I'm just, I was just going to say thanks for interviewing with me today. You're one of the best actors that I know. You're an even better person. Um, thanks, man. I, th- I think you're great too, Claude. I, I-, I love you, brother. I love you, man. Uh, I wish you and your parents and family... Uh, your sister, and uh, safety and good health. Dude, uh, same same to you and yours. And Claude, I, I can't wait to give you a hug when it's safe, you know? Yeah, man. Me too. Dum, 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 dum. To everyone out there, if you listened all the way to the end of this sixth episode, I want to say thanks for listening. Give us a subscribe and those sweet high star ratings, a nice comment, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality content in the future. Stay tuned, because we've got four more incredible episodes, including interviews with Ryder Doyle, Sarah Paxton, Christine Woods, Tempe Locke, Vinnie Chibber, and Elna Baker, to name more than a few. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our series graphics editor is Dan Olszewski. Vote. Please. Get your absentee ballot, fill it out, then take it to a polling station and drop it off. Thanks for listening. See you next time.